Shabbat Shalom, everyone. So as we get started here today in my teaching, I just want to preface my remarks with um, what happened to me last week. So um, I got on a Segway. You know what a Segway is? It's the two, two wheels with a little board, and you kind of stand on it. If you lean forward, it'll go forward. If you lean back, it slows down, and it'll go, yeah. So at 62, I thought, you know, I'm going to do that. What was I thinking? And I got on that thing, and within several minutes, I, I pretty much had it down. Um, and as usual, got too confident in my inexperience. And flying down the street at my son-in-law's house, he was up on the patio. I finally, because I was doing so well, looked up at him and yelled, Hey, Josh, come on down. That's the last thing I remembered. <laughs> I hit a bank of snow that was just solid uh, with the left wheel. And it, so it just, it just turned me instantly to the left, spun me off. I landed on the right side of my back, banged my head. And uh, yeah, that was the last I remembered. So I think I cracked one or two ribs. I've spent a significant amount of time in bed this week. I can't sneeze. I, my biggest fear is I get a tickle, a little tickle. And I have to start clearing my throat because I cannot cough. Oh, I'm telling you, it's so bad. So anyway, I've been uh, a little bit laid up. And so the reason I bring that to your attention, of course, you know, for prayer, of course, um, but I'm moving slow. I'm not as animated. I'm, I'm not as... You know, you might think, what's wrong with Mark? Is this like a solemn occasion? Passover is not solemn. I'm just solemn. Uh, but I'm doing my best to kind of, you know, uh, move slow and not re-injure myself. I did that already, trying to get out of bed. Uh, oh, man, I'll tell you what. It had, there's a technique to getting out, but, man, I did not have that down. And as soon as I was getting better, I just kind of had some setbacks. So anyway... Praise God. It is what it is. No more, no more segues for me. They were really fun, though. Super fun. I mean, how fun is that? How fun is getting on something that will take off and you have no, nothing, nothing to hold on to? It's just, it's, it's the feeling of, I don't know, may, I, maybe that's the thrill, is the risk. So, uh, yeah, I got over that really quick. So <laughs> Today what I want to do is I want to pick up our theme that we've been uh, sharing, and that's Passover. And so I've entitled this The Second Moses, The Second Passover, and The New Covenant. And um, this is very significant for us because our Passovers today are more than what they were for the 1,500 years moving up to Yeshua. Today is Nisan the 14th. We have an abbreviated service today, of course, in order to make way for the Lord's annual Passover. Uh, there's a lot of Passovers that are taking place later on this afternoon into the evening. This is the time that we commemorate Yeshua as our Redeemer, as our Savior, counting the cost of what he paid in order for us to be forgiven. 
For Messianic Jews and Messianic Gentiles, it memorializes the first physical deliverance from physical slavery and death. And it also memorializes the second and greater deliverance from the dominion of sin and shame and spiritual death. The first Passover was accomplished by Moses, and the second and greater Passover was accomplished by the second and greater Moses, Yeshua the Messiah. In fact, in the second and greater Passover, the long-awaited new covenant that Jeremiah prophesied, it was established so that all the provisions and promises that were lost in former disobedience were now restored. Yes and amen in Yeshua the Messiah. It is an immeasurable joy that all of us in Messiah will partake in our Passover seders in honor of Yeshua, the Passover Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Happy Passover. 2021. So let's start with Yeshua, the second and greater Moses. Did you know there's two Moseses? That, that, that really what we find in the scripture is this idea that there's two Moseses. Who's Moses? Moses is like the greatest figure in Judaism, the, the greatest figure bar none in the Tanakh. There's no one like Moses. In fact, God, when he called Moses, he says, Moses, I'm going to do some things through you that when, when they're done, you will be so great, your fame so far reaching, that all of Israel will believe in you forever, forever. Greatest figure that we have in the Tanakh is none other than Moses. Now, I want to pick up a reading in John chapter 5. This is Yeshua. He says some things about Moses that are very, very uh, intriguing. Speaking to some of those uh, in his day that were out of control, in rebellion, and really uh, undermining what God was wanting to accomplish. He said to them, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you have believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus said, Moses is the greatest figure, bar none. And he wrote about me. Do you understand what he said about me? Because if you did, you would believe in me. So where did Moses speak of Yeshua, right? Deuteronomy chapter 8. 18 and verse 15. It states, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet, a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Moses is speaking. He's getting older. He's going to depart there's going to be a great transition of power from Moses to Joshua. And he leaves his people with words like this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. There was no prophet like Moses. There were other prophets, but none like Moses. 
God says, I speak to the prophets in dreams and visions, in enigmas. Not so with my servant Moses. To him I speak face to face. There was a level of relationship that Moses enjoyed with the Lord that no one else had. He was the greatest of all the prophets. He was, in every sense of the word, a prophet, priest, and king, really. The forerunner of Messiah. And Moses said, there's coming a time in which God is going to raise up for you a prophet like me. There'll be many prophets that come and go, but another one's coming like me. One that's transcendent above all the others from among you, from your brothers. Let's go forward to Acts chapter 3, 17 through 26. I'm going to begin reading down and make our way down through this. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. Verse 22, Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yeshua the Messiah, the Christ, the one who suffers so that we can be forgiven. He's the one that Moses prophesied would come. Yeshua the Messiah is the second Moses. He's the second and greater Moses. He's greater than Moses himself. He's the Lamb of God who will lay down his life so that we might be forgiven. He says, you listen to him. If you don't, you'll be utterly destroyed. Of all the words that Moses left us, these are the greatest words. The importance of everything that Moses prophesied is below this particular prophecy. A greater one than me is coming. Listen to him. Verse 24, And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, It is you who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth will be blessed. For you first, God, raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. Jesus, the Messiah, is the second and greater Moses. He's the ruler, the ultimate prophet. He's not just the high priest. He's just not king of kings and lord of lords. He's also the prophet of prophets. Even Moses recognized the greater one that would come after him. Let's shift and talk about the second and greater Passover. 
The Bible also talks about two Passovers. The first one was a Passover in Egypt. It was about physical liberation from physical slavery and misery. The second one is about a kingdom of darkness in which we're all in bondage and a liberation that comes from the Messiah, a liberation from that dominion of that kingdom, that domain of sin and shame. Those are the two Passovers. Most of the rabbis concur with this. I want to give you some thoughts from uh, a very popular and well-known Haggadah. It's the Art Scroll Series, third edition. Let me give you some thoughts. This is what it says in the Art Scroll uh, Passover Haggadah. Redemption was twofold, twofold, physical and spiritual. It goes on to talk about the duality of Pesach, a dual bondage, first physical, then spiritual, a dual liberation physically from Egypt, and also the redemption to come. What redemption to come? The rabbi said it would be a redemption from sin itself. That's the greater bondage. The first Passover, the physical bondage, that was a big deal. But there's a greater redemption coming, a spiritual redemption that is mirrored in the physical. The physical redemption in Egypt was filled with signs and types and shadows that teach us about the greater Passover, the second and greater Passover that would come later. Rabbi Isaac Huttner says this, the exodus must be viewed as the prelude to the messianic redemption. And that says it all. He understood the greater Passover comes with Messiah. Messiah is the one that will bring the second and greater Passover. We as messianic believers say yes and amen, and it did come. Jesus is the second Moses. He is the one who ushered in the second Passover. We have two saviors in these Passover events. Moses, the first savior, he's a savior. He's the deliverer, right? He's the one that God raised up to use to lead them out of slavery in Egypt. Yeshua, the Messiah, he's the second and greater savior. He's the Savior not only of Israel, but of the entire world. He's the one that comes to set us free from the spiritual slavery to sin and shame that plagues our lives. Jesus, He's the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, singular, not sins, plural. He came to take away the sin of the world, not just Israel, but the sin of the world. That is amazing in every way. Let's talk about the sign of Passover. The sign of Passover is the blood. The first Passover, it was the blood of their Passover lambs. That Each family had a Passover lamb. They slayed on the 14th in the afternoon around 3 p.m. 
they slayed that lamb and put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, which provided for them the covenant picture and language necessary to actually escape the wrath of God against sin in Egypt. The second and greater Passover, the sign remains the same. It's the blood, the blood of Yeshua, the Lamb of God. We all had our lambs. God says, I'm going to bring my lamb. He prophesied that through Moses as well. We see that in the story even earlier on with Abraham and his son Isaac. His son Isaac says, Dad, we got the fire, we got the wood, but where's the, where's the sacrifice? Where's the lamb? Abraham tells Isaac, God will provide the lamb. That was a prophetic word because it didn't happen that day. It would take much longer. And that season came. We discovered that Yeshua is the Lamb of God, the long-awaited Lamb of God, that God provides His Lamb at Passover, Jesus. When John saw Him, he exclaimed, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the second and greater Moses, ushers in the second and greater Passover. He's actually the Passover. He's actually the sacrificial lamb. Jesus, in, in many ways, fulfills everything that we see in the Tanakh. In every festival, he fulfills all of the imagery, all of the, the ideas, the types and the shadows. You can imagine in the ear of a Jew when John says, Behold, the Lamb of God. They understood the Lamb. They understand the idea of a sacrificial Lamb as the, the, the atoning device of our sins and that that would point forward to the Lamb of God. And now John the Baptist, John the Immerser, right? He's pointing and saying, There he is, the long-awaited Lamb of God. That's him, Yeshua of Nazareth. He's the one. Paul says of Yeshua that he is our Passover lamb. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 6-7. through seven. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven, that leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are in fact unleavened. All of this is the language of the week of Passover. goes on to say, For Christ our Passover, and I put lamb in there, I added that, for Christ our Passover lamb has also been sacrificed. It's one of the four definitions that we covered a couple of weeks ago. The word Passover actually is in reference to the sacrifice of the lamb. That's why they don't put lamb in the text. The word Passover just, it means the lamb that was sacrificed. We add that to help the, the readers understand. For Christ our Passover lamb has also been sacrificed. 1 Corinthians 5.8 Therefore, let us, who's he writing to? He's writing to Jewish believers and also Gentile believers. This is an epistle to the Corinthian church. The majority of this church are Gentiles. And he's saying to the Gentiles in the Messiah, you're part of Israel, you're grafted in. Yeshua, the Passover lamb, has been sacrificed you are now saved in one with those believing Jews who preceded you. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast. What feast? What feast is he talking about? 
He doesn't actually say what feast it is. He gives us all the words for that, the concepts. You know, the one that has unleavened bread. You know, the one that has a Passover lamb. Yeah, he's talking about the week of Passover, the celebration of Pesach. And he's saying, let us therefore celebrate what? Passover together, right? Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I'm going to talk more about this tomorrow at our unleavened bread service, day one, 5 p.m. we got a secret special meal for you. It's not extravagant. It'll be filling. And it's not just beans and chili. Okay. We're going to have a great time together as we celebrate. It's a festival. We're going to eat together. I'm going to talk about the week of Passover. I'm talking about the week of unleavened bread and what all of that means. Suffice it to say, Paul says, keep the festival. Do you realize this is a holy week? It's not just, it's not just a Seder tonight. It's meant to be a whole week of festival, all week long, meals, fellowship, you know, visiting each other. It's, it's a holy week. It's, it's, a, it's a vacation. It's a spiritual vacation, if you will. We need to get into this. I was born and raised in a Catholic home. First 18 years of my life, devout Catholic. We had it down. Christmas wasn't one day. It was a holy week. Easter wasn't one day. It was a holy week. We had a great time all week long. We set those times aside. I'm telling you, as believers in Messiah, we need to learn to set aside the week of Passover as a whole week of celebration and fun, you know, and, and, and getting together and just really rejoicing in what God has done. We need these times of festivity, of rejoicing, and, and building relationship with one another. So we'll talk more about that as we get into the week. I want to talk about the transcendence of Yeshua, the Lord's Passover Lamb. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. I'm going to begin to make my way down through this passage. Revelation 5, 1 through 14. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one, I want to be careful here, I cannot fall today. No one, think of everyone in the world. There are some pretty powerful men and women in our world. And when we talk about powerful men and women, we usually, at least, at least in the ancient world, you would talk about nobility. And um, some pretty important people. And yet, the angel says, no one on earth was important enough, was noble enough to open up the book. And no one under the earth, which is the realm of the dead, is the underworld, 
and all of the great, though fallen angels in that realm, none of them great enough to be open up to, to open up the seals of this book. And no one in heaven, and in heaven, you have myriads and myriads and myriads of Elohim, of, of angelic divine beings, very powerful beings, majestic beings. And among them, you even have these 24 elders that sit kind of as a divine counsel to the Lord himself. And then even among them, you have these four beings that have like, they're like chimeras. They got like uh, features of animals and, and humanness, the four, the four creatures that are around the throne. I mean, you have some really amazing, powerful, majestic beings. And everyone's silent in heaven, on earth, and in the uh, realm below the earth. No one's able. Verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. Verse 5. And one of the elders, these are the 24 elders that are around the throne, most significant and most powerful other than the four creatures. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome, so as to open the book and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah, Yeshua the Messiah, he's the one. Again, we see him in his transcendence. He's the ultimate high priest, according to Melchizedek, which is a higher priesthood than the Levitical priesthood. He's the greater Moses. He's the sacrifice itself, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. And because he overcame, he's the only one worthy to open this book. This is the greatness of Yeshua the Messiah. But notice how this is going to unfold for us. Catch this, if you will. This is the value, importance, and meaning of Passover. Verse 6. And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I mean, you know, all of a sudden there's some movement and the elders turn and these four living creatures kind of separate and out of the throne is one coming forth standing and is depicted as what? As a lamb. Not a lion, even though he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, he's not a lion in his manifestation. In the heavenlies, he's depicted as a lamb, because the lamb is even greater than the lion. The lamb of God is the one that secured our redemption. He is the one in which all glory and honor is given. What he suffered will never fully comprehend until we get there. He carried the weight of the sin of the world. He who knew no, no sin became sin 
on our behalf and suffered the wrath of God against sin in human flesh so that we could be redeemed. So all honor and glory is given to the Lamb who stands in front of the throne and all evangelic beings, the 24 elders and these four living creatures are going to bow to him and worship. This is amazing. This is who Yeshua is. Verse 8, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Yeshua, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is why our Passover is so significant. It's so significant because it's been fulfilled in Him. The meaning, the purpose, the function, it's all in Him. It all comes to realization in and through Him. He is the one in which Passover pointed forward to. Verse 10, you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. Could you, could you just think about that for a moment? The myriads and myriads of angelic beings and, and the different types and levels of, of, of angelic beings all of them in unison singing this out to Yeshua as he stands depicted as a lamb slain from the foundations of the world. You know, this imagery that, that, that's given to us, powerful in every way. I, I, have a, I have an artist's rendition of the lamb with seven eyes on it. I mean, it's just the scariest thing I've ever seen in terms of, you know, it's just some weird stuff, right? But you look at these angelic beings and there's some pretty, there's some pr pretty frightening creatures that the Lord has made. And uh, these all, of course, uh, display a majesty and a power that's represented in this imagery, whether the imagery is actually literal or not, uh, would miss the point. The point is powerful in every way. When we worship here, it's not something the worship team does. Alexia is a, she is a, uh, has pointed this out over and over and over, and her team understands it too. They're just leading us in that. You're the worship team. You're the priesthood. You're the ones that rule and reign with Messiah. Never, ever, ever be passive in your worship. When we worship, when we dance, do that with every cell in your body. Raise your voice, sing to Him. Let it out. You say, well, I can't hold a note. Neither can I. It just says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. God was thinking of me when he had that passage written, right? I can't hold a note, but I can, I can let it out. 
We should sing with everything in our being because he's worthy of that. I encourage you to watch Mel Gibson's uh, The Passion of Christ this week. This is Holy Week. Watch it. You'll catch all that he went through. And he did that even if, you, if it was just for you. If you were the only person, he would have done it for you. It's not only for the world. It's for each and every one of us. You say, how did he endure that? He was thinking of you. That's how great his love is. So when we worship, I, I want to encourage everyone, you're the priesthood. You as priests are to offer up sacrifices of praise, worship, and adoration. He's worth it all. All of heaven, all of heaven's doing this. These beings that are much more glorious and majestic than us and powerful, they're just throwing their crowns before them. They're falling on their faces. They're weeping and rejoicing in the lamb that was slain. Verse 13, And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. The initial goal of Passover, in the first Passover, that initial goal was physical deliverance from the dominion of Egypt and then onward to the gift of the promised land. In the second Passover, it's about spiritual deliverance from the dominion of sin and shame. You know what that is, right? Everyone knows what that is. We come to church, we wear masks, we smile at each other, we act as if we're all together, you know, overcomers for Jesus. But behind the scenes in our private lives, we have all these struggles with different sin, right? And we're so afraid that anyone might hear about it or know about it. Why? Because we project ourselves as being what? Overcomers. We know that sin has a grip. Jesus came to break its grip. Jesus came that we would find freedom from sin and shame. I'm telling you right now, we can be free from any bondage to any sin, because that's what he did at that second Passover. Alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sexual abuse, pornography. You, you write in whatever you're in bondage to, whatever it is that's got a grip on your life that you say, you know, people say all the time, well, you know, God understands. You know, I got this struggle in this area. I've always had it. It's the way I was or the way I am. I was born that way. I mean, you know, we have all kinds of ways to justify it so that we actually then learn to live with it and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm under grace. You are under grace. You are. He loves you. It's not based on what you do or don't do. You were loved. You know, when he came to them in Egypt, they were in their what? 
bondage and slavery. He came to them. He says, you know, all you have to do, slay the lamb, put the blood on the doorposts, and I will save you in Egypt, in your sin. Based on what? Based on you cleaning your life up? No. Based on you trusting in the blood of that lamb sacrificed. Based on grace and grace alone, through faith in the blood of the lamb, I'll save you in your sin. I'll save you in your slavery. That's my grace. But when you eat the Pesach offering, make sure you eat standing up with sandals on, staff in your hand. Get ready. Get ready. Because when I say go, I want you to run and don't look back. God says, I'm going to save you by grace through faith in the blood of the lamb, but then I'm going to take you out of that place of slavery. A hasty deliverance from that dominion of slavery and misery. So yes, yes, God understands us, our weaknesses. He knows our brokenness. But he's saying, hey, I've I've saved you through faith in my son. You're saved. You are under grace. But don't you embrace that sin. That's not who you are. And you don't have to live under, under that taskmaster. I've come to set you free. Part of the story of Passover week is not only being saved by grace through faith in the blood of the Lamb, it's about coming out of that place of sin and shame. That's what Jesus wrought on the cross. That's why he poured out his spirit, so that we could be free from that. You can do it the easy way or the hard way, but I want to tell you right now, you bring your stuff before the Lord, confess your sins, be real with one another, You know, it's okay to confess your sins to one another. It's okay to have, you know, brothers and sisters in your life that you can go and say, look, you know, I'm, I'm addicted to drugs or I'm addicted to alcohol or I'm addicted to porn or whatever it is, right? It's okay to go and share that. They're probably addicted to something too. The point is, is this, you confess your sins to one another and cry out to the Lord for deliverance. He will break that power. That grip, he will, and he will set you free. He's done that for me, but it doesn't come for those that are passive. It doesn't come for those that are comfortable with their sin. You got to be desperate. You got to literally get on your face and weep before the Lord and cry out. And if you have to do that every day, you do it every day. You have an appointed time for your deliverance. It will come like a mighty rushing wind but you got to stay the course and stay serious. And if you don't, if you don't, you'll get so messed up at a given point, the world will help you do it the world's way. Those are usually like rehab facilities. The world has a way of helping. It's, in my opinion, not as effective, but it's second best if you're going to ignore what is best. But sooner or later, you're going to have to deal with that sin. Because if you don't, it'll take everything you have away from you. Everything. You cannot play with it. It's a fire. So in conclusion, in application, what have we we learned so far? Number one, Yeshua is the second and greater Moses. 
He's the eternal son of the eternal heavenly father. He is one with God. You shall call his name Emmanuel, for he is God with us, the transcendent one. He, he has initially fulfilled the second and greater Passover. He is the Passover Lamb of God, in which all of heaven, including the 24 elders and the four living creatures around the very throne of God, cast their crowns at his feet and bow and worship him. This is who he is. He is forever exalted in the heavens. The line of the tribe of Judah is also the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and he shall reign over all creation until all is restored to the Father. So in our Messianic Seders tonight, we commemorate Moses and the first Passover, and all that it foreshadowed, and all that it found, or all that would go on to find its fulfillment in Yeshua, the second Passover. Our Messianic Seders are the only Seders that recognize that Yeshua initially fulfilled all of the first Passover types and shadows. When I say our Messianic Seders, I'm talking about Messianic Seders around the world, not the harvest, but around the world. They're the only satyrs. All the other satyrs in rabbinic Judaism focus on the first Passover. They do not believe the Messiah has come. It's only in Messianic satyrs that we realize the fullness of the joy in Yeshua being the Lamb of God, bringing into its fullest meaning all that the first Passover foreshadowed. That's what makes our satyrs so immeasurably filled with joy. It is such a great time. Every year at our Seder, I just love it. It's like, ah, it's just like the, the sights, the sounds, the food, the fellowship. It's, it's immense because it's filled up with the presence of Yeshua, a salvation that's completed. In Him, we are redeemed. In Him, we're born again. That redemption is an eternal redemption. Eternal, eternal. I don't know about you. I'm really aware of my sin. I'm so thankful to be saved. I was radically saved because I was radically messed up. So I had a, I had a pretty dramatic born-again experience, and I'm so grateful because I know where I was headed. I know how desperate my life was. So I want to encourage you to recognize the great salvation that we all enjoy and not take that for granted, to really, to really enjoy every moment of our seders tonight, knowing that we do it in honor of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So after your seder tonight, and before sunset tomorrow, this is when you're going to remove all of your leavened bread products from your home and properties. Exodus 12, that's, I'm out of time. I can hear someone starting to cry. <laughs> I'm, so this is it, all right? It says, 
Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day to the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. I'm going to talk about this tomorrow night. The first day of this week is Nisan the 15th. Today's Nisan the 14th. You don't remove the leaven before Passover. You move the leaven on the day of Nisan the 15th. We're going to do our seders tonight. And then tomorrow, we're going, to, we're going to get our leavened bread products out. All other Judaisms, they get their leavened products out before the 14th. The 14th is the final day. So you get that out like a week ahead or two weeks ahead, but you're getting all that out. You do a final sweeping of your house by, I think, 9 a.m. this morning on the 14th. You get it all out. Then you do your seders. Well, the text says you don't move it out on the 14th. You move it out on the 15th. You say, why is that significant, right? Why is that important? Think of the imagery of Passover. We're saved by what? The blood of the lamb, our faith in the blood of the lamb. Leaven is a symbol for sin. If that's true, when you get the leaven products out prior to Passover, what you communicate is this. I'm going to get all my sin and get rid of it so that I can be saved by my faith in the blood of the Lamb. That's a works-based righteousness. you got to get rid of your sin first in order to get saved. That's why that doesn't work. No, you come as you are with all of your sin and your brokenness. Receive the grace and love of God. Through faith in the blood of the Lamb, you are saved. Now, after you're saved, you begin to work on getting the sin out of your life. Is that, that just makes so much sense. So we part with uh, rabbinic tradition in that regard, and we will wait to get uh, our sin dealt with after we receive forgiveness and cleansing. It's after that great salvation in Egypt that he brought them out. That's depicted in everything that we do. So uh, tomorrow we'll look into that. In the meantime, you can go to the resource page on our website, and under the phrase Tradition of Unleavened Bread, there's a video you can watch, or you can download a document that will help you understand what you need to get rid of tomorrow. The short and skinny is any puffy bread products. That's it. Just any puffy bread products. You don't have to go through and look for leaven in every product that you have in your house. Got to get rid of the soup. It has leaven. No, it doesn't say get rid of leaven soup. It says get rid of leaven bread. Okay? People are throwing away their soups and this and that. I got to throw my beer out and my wine out. What are you thinking? Just bring it to my house. <laughs> Feel like you need to get rid of it, bring it to my house. All you're required to get rid of is the puffy bread because that week, puffy bread is just the symbol of sin and how it can permeate everything. Does that make sense? That's the short and skinny. I know it's a lot. It's okay. We're under grace. You can learn to do this better and better every year as it comes around. This is our Holy Week. Enjoy this Holy Week. Make it special. Have friends over. Go out to dinner. Don't eat leavened bread, though. Careful at the restaurants. That's all they have, right? Um, but enjoy the week. Enjoy each other. Enjoy this redemption that we have in Yeshua the Messiah, the Lamb of God. 
exalt him, bow to him, receive him more fully than you've ever received him before, and know that in him we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, but by grace through faith. This is the love of God for us. Amen?